0: Welcome to the CEO.Digital Show Extra. In these episodes, Craig and I speak to business leaders for a deep dive into current technology trends and challenges.
1: We go beyond high-level strategy to bring you an in-depth look at the issues and innovations not to be missed by the C-Suite.
0: You can find out more and stay up to date at CEO.Digital.
1: So Darcy, I missed the episode with Chris, a fellow marketer. I was really looking forward to speaking to him, but how did it go? What did you enjoy?
0: It was great to be speaking with Chris, a fellow marketer and also an entrepreneur and published author. Chris had so many fantastic insights, um, particularly on customer experience, data visualization, and also how we overcome content fatigue and manage content for a great digital experience. So yeah, loads of great insights to share.
1: Sounds great. Shall we get into the episode?
0: Let's do it. Our guest this week is Chris Nash, co-founder and partner of Relevant Edge, an analytics tool and software products company. Chris has an extensive and accomplished background of over 25 years within omnichannel marketing. He works as an independent digital consultant, having formerly been manager and senior consultant in business optimization strategies at Sitecore. Aside from being noted for his expertise in the field of data-driven personalization, Chris is a thought leadership specialist and speaker on commerce data and digital experience capabilities. On top of all of this, he's co-written the data and experience marketing book titled Connect, which was published in 2016. Chris, welcome to the CEO.Digital show.
1: Great to be here, Darcy. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you. I've just given our listeners a very abridged version of your extensive experience. Um, what I haven't said already is that you're also an American who now resides and works from Denmark too. So it'd be great to hear a little bit from you, Chris, about your journey, uh, what you do, and what brought you to where you are.
1: Sometimes I say, if we sort of from a, let's say, like a personal you know, business career uh, point of view, Sometimes I say that I am an early example of the digitalization of the internet. So one of my first jobs out of university, I worked at um, AT AT&T and Bell Labs as a product marketing um, uh, communications specialist. And uh, in university, I was a a journalism and an English major. I was not a technologist. But um, when I worked in in that environment, I uh, quickly embraced technology. And at that time, which I'm going to date myself, goes back to the 80s. there, the thing called the internet, it didn't exist. At that time, 18 Bell Labs was the first company to commercialize email and um, local area networks for personal computers. And those are some of the projects that I got to work on. So um, we were, we had a, we had full access to um, what was called the net. It was you know, only for a few <laughs> businesses and universities in, in the US. And uh, there was something called Usenet, which still exists, bulletin boards. And uh, in, in the, at that time, I was very curious about um, other parts of the world, and I applied for a couple of jobs in uh, in Europe, and I ended up getting a job in Denmark, and moved, and now I'm married with three kids, and I've lived here for 20-something years, and, uh, you know, very happy, both per- personally and professionally, here.
0: Great to hear. Uh, yeah, sounds like such a fantastic journey, and as you said, you know, really kind of a pioneer of of the internet and the the web as he called it Um, and it seems obviously kind of now you've got very two very notable aspects in your current work life so there's relevant edge uh, which we'll get into and then you also describe yourself as an independent digital consultant. Can you tell us a little bit more about these kind of dual aspects of your professional life you know starting off with what exactly is relevant edge, you know, and what it is that you offer your customers and then getting a little bit into your work as a consultant and how the two play together.
1: Yeah. So in a nutshell, relevant edge is a company that I started together with another person about a year ago. And, uh, uh basically, you know, you know, put, you know, briefly, succinctly, it's, it's about affordable analytics for web data that includes PII data. So sometimes when we say web data, we mean digital experience platform. Um, That could be a platform like the Sitecore platform, uh, for example. And um, generally speaking, I call this customer-centric data. And um, the way that uh, business and culture are evolving is that, as we all know, more and more data is generated, more and more experiences take place, either completely digitally or partially digitally. That means there's more data. So when it comes to analytics and getting insights and you know, organizations, they want to you know, leverage the data to acquire customers, to, to keep customers, to you know, maintain customer satisfaction. Uh, analytics is becoming more and more complicated and, and complex. And as the amount of data sort of shrinks you know, due to the different you know, consent, you know, cookie consent and so forth, organizations need to actually go deeper with the data that, that they do collect. So we recognize this and, um, you know, we can talk about it. We've developed a platform, et cetera, et cetera, to basically simplify and make it more affordable for using this deeper analytics and it's for personalization, et, et cetera. Um, so that's that's a little bit about, about what that's about. In terms of the, the independent consultant side, I am, uh, I guess, partly an entrepreneur. Um, I also started a company in the early 2000s, a, at the time, we called it a multi-channel marketing platform, which today you would call marketing automation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, with this sort of entrepreneurial streak, when it, about a year ago when, I, when we were looking to start the company, I wanted to you know, ensure that um, we could reach a lot of customers. And uh, so I sort of broadened the types of things that I do. And I use the term independent consultant so that it covers, you know, the independent digital consulting work that that I do, Mm -hmm. which sometimes involves, you know, relevant edge and uh, uh, sometimes it doesn't. So that's a, that's a short background on that.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And you mentioned, as you said, you're a bit of an entrepreneur and it does seem you wear many hats because, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've also written your own book, uh, Connect. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that and what they can expect to find?
1: Yeah, so I am a co-author of the book. In 2015-16, myself and two others, uh, while we were working at Sitecore, actually, we recognize that um, you know the it takes a journey to adopt and leverage technology to get business out of it. Okay, as 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 you've heard, I'm not the first one to to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But what we but you know technology adoption is very much about you know uh, organizational alignment, organizational readiness, uh, and uh, also um, an understanding of how the different sort of technology elements work. If that's personalization you know, website optimization, using A-B testing. In general, the idea of, of, you know, creating data-centric customer experiences that are more effective and, you know, generate better results for customers and for businesses. Yeah. So um, we developed a, uh, what we call a customer experience maturity model, a seven-step model, and that's what the book is about. So it's a model where organizations can both assess their readiness with regard to how they use technology to create better customer experiences, and also um, to create a roadmap for actually choosing the technologies and aligning those with the capabilities of the organization. Because the key to success is aligning with your ability to execute as an organization. So that's that's what the book is about. It's got lots of case stories. I think it's still relevant. Of course, I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> and I just, to, I just want to mention that um, proceeds for the book Go to a charity um which we've been very fortunate to be able to help so it's not it's uh, you know i'm i'm all for sort of promoting the book because it you know it goes to a worthy cause
0: fantastic yeah and those you know that kind of customer experience maturity model is really interesting as well we'll definitely come on to that a little bit later in the podcast Going back to, to relevant edge, I mean, you know, the past year or so has been very challenging for individuals and businesses alike. And I can't even imagine how it must have been starting up a company in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, definitely not something we've heard a lot of recently. So, you know, what were, what was the kind of drive to set up the company at this time? And did you kind of find any unexpected benefits from setting up the company during a pandemic or, you know, similarly, any, any extreme challenges?
1: Yeah. So I I think it's, um, that basically the, the starting, the company started with an idea that myself and my business partner Niels have been working on or collaborating with since 2016 Mm. and, um, through, you know, the pandemic, it created, I think a lot of panic initially in the business world and And, in the world in general. Yeah. and i th- I think that businesses were were trying to figure out how to adapt, you know how to basically get prepared. So we found ourselves in a position. We both worked at the same company. We found ourselves in a in a position to be able to jump off and uh, basically collaborate. And um, uh, so we decided to take the plunge. we We believe we have a good idea, a great idea, and we have customers now in production to to sort of back that up. Uh, and I think that it's definitely you know March twenty. Where are we? Twenty twenty, right? It was really strange times for, for all of us. Absolutely. And uh, so I basically you know was like I I just sort of realized this is the perfect environment to focus on starting a company because we actually had a bit of a push. We were um, you know fully fully uh, focused on you know working from home. Uh, being able to, you know, spend a lot of time on, you know, productivity. And um, it became, you know, very natural for to take meetings um, online. So it was very natural for us to have uh, meetings with large companies um, where maybe it would be face-to-face, uh, you know, if it wasn't, you know, in the online culture that the pandemic created. Um, and, uh, you know, just this idea of sort of like, you know, we being resourceful. You know, we're, we're, the world was sort of reassessing, the definition of being resourceful. Mm. And we sort of saw this like as an opportunity for us to sort of um, to lean into uh, in terms of um, uh, taking advantage of a climate where uh, more and more things were happening online in terms of businesses. And um, there was also a focus on people who are, you know, businesses were struggling, individuals were out of work, and opportunities to get funding for people in those situations. And we took some advantage of these kinds of possibilities.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, so nice to be able to kind of have a positive story in this time and to be able, as you said, to offer opportunities as you grow that business. Uh, We touched on obviously kind of the high level offering of Relevant Edge, but just be great to hear a little bit more and drill down into what you're doing and, and where you're seeing success with your customers.
1: Yeah. So so, if I start with a customer and the business needs before getting into the technology, because it, you know mm-hmm. it's it's just so essential to be focused on the business problem and the business needs, short term and long term of customers, as opposed to taking a technology first approach. Um, as I learned in my you know previous uh, venture. Yeah. The uh, if we think about um, as I talked about, you know, the uh, from a marketer's point of view, the the data that we have available you know, to let, to optimize our businesses is changing. So how is it changing? So one way is cookie consent, right? So I hear about marketers saying that, you know, they have 50% less data, you know, cookie could basically web analytics data, anonymous web analytics data that they had, you know, versus a year ago. Um, Apple recently changed the way it tracks emails so that uh, all of a sudden open and click rates, you know, disappear for those who are, uh, you know, receiving e- emails in the in the Apple environment, yeah. Um, Third-party cookie changing, um, etc. And at the same time, customers are um, more and more aware of data privacy issues. And finally, organizations are extremely sensitive to basically getting hacked, and you know, getting you know, getting ransomware so that um, they lose track of the data in their environment. So there's there are different things that are sort of Aligning or colliding, I guess you would say. And what we what we recognize is that we that it should be easier to co- collaborate using customer-centric data, which is often web data, web analytics data that, that you would recognize, also known as digital experience platform data. Mm-hmm. So what we believe it should be easier to collaborate. The, the data should be available to more stakeholders than just digital stakeholders. So it could be product owners, it could be sales, it could be services, individuals who are not at all used to logging into something like Google Analytics or a Web analytics uh, platform in order to get insights. And um, the data you know so organizations need insights, um, and the very often, as I said, the data that organizations do collect it contains often an element of PII data, so personally identifiable information. Mm-hmm. And uh, companies are very sensitive about where that data resides, uh, because end customers are becoming more, you know, aware of that data. So we started off with the idea that we we're going to create another software as a service data integration and transformation platform. So if you know io that kind of idea, mm-hmm. um, but specialized in systems that are, you know, not necessarily mainstream like. F- focusing first on digital experience platforms. But what we found out when we started to go to market was that customers were saying, we see you have an, a, a software as a service version and you have an on-premises version. We want the on-premises version because we don't want the data to go outside of our own network. We want the data to be in our network. So now we offer only an on-premises version where the customer owns the database, they physically control the database within their own environment. yeah. And so it's much, so all the, the complexity of storing PII data is eliminated. And um, we, we get continuously good feedback on this because the procurement process is much easier um, because the data is not outside of their environment. So we, and then just to wrap it a little bit on this, what we do is that we integrate to, let's say, a, a platform like Sitecore. Um, we read data from the platform. We transform the data so that it's ready to give insights for the, a variety of stakeholders. Then we programmatically generate um, dashboards. And we make those dashboards avail- available through tools like Power BI so that it's easy to get started. Um, it's easy to do it yourself. And it's very affordable. Uh, Power BI is, you know, t- Power BI Pro is $10 a month per user and um uh, so that's sort of the offering um we are sort of focused on um the accessibility and um uh the affordability of um data that that may include data for personalization and data for that contains personally identifiable information
0: fantastic and you know i think you you quite rightly mentioned there it is getting harder than ever for marketers from a data perspective, um, you know, have that experience myself. Um, and as well as being able to leverage kind of the insights and the data from the data that we capture, we also need to be able to kind of leverage our own strategies and our own content to get the most out of that data. Um, so what is it that we can do from a data visualization and a data understanding perspective to get the most out of our content and content management?
1: Yeah, and this, this is a great question. So as the world becomes more digital, you know, digital experiences are, you know, they drive commerce and culture, you could say. Mm-hmm. And the fuel for experience is content. So um, let's think about, you know, if you are a, a hospitality company that uh, provides resorts, you know, globally around the world. What you view on the website is what you're buying for your one week or ten day or what weekend um, experience at a at a resort, um, wherever it might be. So the effectiveness of the content is just as important as ever. But if we add the COVID layer onto that, the cost of doing business, you know, thankfully it's getting better, but it has been you know challenging. So mm. organizations are looking to get the most value out of where they spend their money, and that also applies to content. So, one of the things that we focus on that, we, that I, I believe is important is, um, is being able to attribute the effectiveness of content with regard in, in a measurable way that you can tie to um, you know, your investment in, in content. So, it should be possible to be able to invest in creating great content, measure its effectiveness, find out what works, what doesn't work, and improve your ability to get a return on your investment. When it comes to you know the, the quality and the effectiveness of content, so that's something you know the 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 idea of measuring and providing KPIs in marketing is something that I've learned I learned about through my early experiences uh, in the early two thousands. Yeah, and um and that's a that's a key concept that that uh, I love working with.
0: Yes. Yeah, so integral. And you mentioned earlier, you know, you kind of tie in in with systems like Cycle, for instance. So can you uh, kind of tell our listeners any kind of success stories you have for customers or, you know, how you get your customers to approach integrating relevant edge with content management systems like Cycle uh, to get the most insights and the most benefits?
1: Yeah. So of course it starts with measuring. And it also starts with um, buy-in from stakeholders that they want to be measured. So um, taking stakeholders through a process of, you know, why measure? And, you know, it's, it's about the quality of what you're doing, the end result you're doing, you know, toward, towards customer experiences. It's not about yourself. Um, and then how to measure. And so first, first talking about measurement and one of the key areas is, is thinking about measuring intent, customer intent. Mm-hmm. So something that I've learned to focus on is sequencing customer experiences so that you can actually measure the progression of intent uh, through, you know, not only the first touch, but through the subsequent touches up into a conversion or an abandonment and maybe a re-engagement of an abandonment and a a conversion. So the ability to sequence digital experiences is something that um, I've had the opportunity to to focus on. Yeah. uh, So that you can basically understand the the multi-touch experience. And then using signals in that sequence of experiences to, to understand um, when uh, intent is being revealed, and when and when and try to reward that. Understand which content leads to that, and try to make that a, a, aware to uh, to those who are focused on creating content. Uh, you know, create creative people, uh, etc.
0: Yeah, I think that's so integral at the moment. I mean, what we're witnessing as well, especially as a, as a marketer, I don't know about you <laughs> in your marketing efforts for relevant edge, but you know, what we're seeing across the board is a lot of content fatigue, right? People have been hit with a massive digital content that's available to them across all platforms. Um, especially as uh, companies have been putting more out as they've only had digital means by which to uh, connect to their customers. Um, so Yeah, is this something that you've experienced? And you know, how do you think people can and brands can stand out?
1: Yeah, so I think that you know we relevancy is a concept that has been uh, you know meaningful to me um, since since I started using technology. And uh, so, providing you know relevant content at a moment that is meaningful for a customer makes the difference between content fatigue and content engagement, you could say. So personalization is a capability that enables you to do that. And um, while working at Sitecore, I had the opportunity to learn um, uh, you know, to a great degree about personalization from a technology point of view and from a sort of customer adoption point of view and from an end customer experience point of view. So the ability to measure personalization is integral to the approach. And uh, the ability for um, you know to demystify that for those who who marketers who are using personalization because they the you know because it's you know the art and the science, right. So I think a lot of creative people you know, creative people in general, you know to varying degrees, forgive me if I'm generalizing, are less uh, sort of um, you know into the science of, of, uh, of content you could say. But one of the things that I learned, I've learned along the way, is that a lot of what we do in technology is about adoption of of the technology amongst those who are using it. So making it easy to understand and being able to do, have provide really simple KPIs for things that work and don't work, you know, red or green or yellow, yeah, arrow up or arrow down. I mean, that's that, it's so it, it's so important to to keep it simple, to reinforce how we're measuring the effectiveness of this subjective thing called content.
0: Definitely. And yeah, I'm glad you touched on personalisation there. I think it, it's such a key topic. I think, you know, when we were doing some research for this episode, stumbled a- across one of your own articles in which you wrote, personalisation is like seasoning, a little makes a big difference, which I really like, because it's so true. And as you said, there there is a bit of a science behind it, um, that goes just beyond the creative elements especially as I think people are a little bit wary of personalization. as you mentioned at the top of the episode, people are a lot more aware of how their data is being used and they do not want things to seem creepy we've all had experiences right of your having a conversation about a specific car and then you receive an advert on your facebook or your instagram we're hyper aware of things being targeted to, to us so how do we you know kind of strike the right balance between offering fantastic personalized experiences that don't come across as creepy
1: yeah so sometimes people bring up the idea of personalization and creepiness and i, and I say that uh you know, if you want to be creepy, you're a marketer. If you want to be creepy, then you pull up your email marketing tool, write something creepy in the subject line, and send it out to your customers. <laughs> would you do that? No, you wouldn't do that. Would you, use, would you, you as a marketer at a brand, would you, would you conceive a personalization journey with creepiness, in it, like where you're going to be explicit about, oh, you just did this, and so therefore we're going to show you
0: that. Exactly.
1: Most likely, you're not because you probably, you know, you probably wouldn't be in the right company. So I think that when brand, when marketers, brand marketers, et cetera, when they conceive, you know, content journeys based on personas, based on analysis, based on hopefully some metrics that are reinforcing um, what's effective from a customer's point of view. They use their, you know, their brand guidelines and their company guidelines and their common sense to communicate in ways that are meaningful for their customers. So there, there is, of course, when you bring up ad retargeting, of course, there is fast-moving, hard-hitting you know, remarketing in search engine where you know, you're trying to stand out. A brand is trying to stand out on a search results page. Um or in an article on a, you know, on a publication that you're reading on a website, you know, you value the publication, you, you get the ads. And um I think they're they're two different things because when you engage with a brand because you're interested in the products and services, you are in a different sort of realm than in the sort of search engine advertising realm. And as you move down the funnel towards making a decision, you you know you have more of a need for relevant information. And you know, some of it is like I say, it's like seasoning. Um, I often say to marketers, it's, it does it just takes a little bit of relevancy to go a long way to being relevant. So um, you take the same headline, you know, uh, or the same call to action on your website, and instead of it being generic like contact us or book a meeting, you have a sub headline with some payoff about what's meaningful from the customer based on what they've done. I worked with a bank at one point, you know, selling home mortgages online. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, you know, you could say book a meeting, you know, with a with a, an advisor, you could have book a meeting and you know, you know, get a better under, you know, and the subheadline gives a payoff like get a better understanding about your choices for home mortgages, right? So it's a dialog technique, there's payoff in it. It's the same call to action but it has a little bit of what I what you call the the spice or the the seasoning. <laughs> to make it a, a bit more relevant. And th- that sort of approach, you can, you can apply it throughout you know, calls to action.
0: Of course. Yeah, I mean, that relevancy is so key. Are there any other elements that really help to drive this perfect sort of customer experience roadmap? And you know, what is it that kind of businesses and marketing leaders should be focused on to drive you know, exceptional digital experiences?
1: Yeah, so it's about, it's about the content. And um, the ability to manage content at scale, I would say. Mm. So, uh, and another case, a, a company that that I have the opportunity to work with is a classic B two B, you know, global organization with um, a sort of a uh, a centralized, um, you know, center of excellence within, you know, technology, web technology. You know, website. You know where its where its digital digital experience platform resides. That platform is used by local markets. Some of them are dominant. Some of them are less dominant because of their size. In the U.S. It could be in the European countries, um, etc. And um, so there's a sort of multi-dimensional challenge for organizations when it comes to managing content. They want to have a consistent message, but they want to enable local marketing to to. Um, market in a way that's meaningful for, for their local customers. So, companies look—they, you know, organizations—they—they they look for abilities to manage these d- dimensions like these across, you know, at scale, so that they can reuse content, you know, get value from uh, a single investment in terms of managing content and provide that content in different channels, whether social, online advertising, um, organic, uh, social social paid, paid search, as well as um, specialty channels where an organization might focus on industry vertical publica- industry vertical websites where they're con- they want to share their content. So the idea of, of a hub of content, um, being able to share it, and then um, there's notions like, more modern notions like you know, head- headless content so that um, the ability to share uh, and manage the sharing and distribution of content is made more cost effective and more efficient for organizations who are basically at, like at a hub and spoke and those spokes can be different different you know channels so the the ability to be able to to um manage the content at scale and do it affordably are some of the key things and where i see a big need is 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 measuring the effectiveness of that so Sometimes you hear about headless CMS. So sorry for those who maybe that's getting a little bit technical. separating, the, <laughs> separating like the, the content from the, the engine, you could say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the idea of headless analytics is something that myself and my partner we talk about. so so that you' you're able to connect different data sources um, underneath with um, different analytics presentation tools. Uh, and that re- represents a sort of modern way of distributed using APIs to call different data sources, using different ways of, of visualizing, um, you know, data insights. Uh, and um, so maybe that'll be a thing one day, headless analytics, maybe it won't. But, but there isn't, there as, as analytics gets more complex and as content, yeah. the nature of content gets more uh, operational operationalized and more efficient. Um, it could be that these distributed mechanisms uh, make more sense.
0: Fantastic. I mean, you mentioned headless CMS there for, uh, those, uh, those listeners who are not in marketing or, or less technical, maybe you could just give um, a bit of an overview of what you're describing.
1: Yeah. So headless, headless analytics is sort of, if you think about, you know, creating content is like a, a bit of a production line. So you have, you know, you, one stage you create wireframes and then you're maybe you're creating user experience and then implementing your website and then you are actually creating content. And you might for organizations of a larger size, they have different partners that create content and, and even partners in different geographies. So you could be a brand, a consumer uh, hair care brand, and you have you know leading global brand and you have operations in all kinds of countries, you have partners in different countries, so you have you know different agencies are creating content for your website in different parts of the world mm-hmm. they don't necessarily know anything about your cms system so the there evolved this idea that you you could you know one team can create the, the content for the front end for the browser so to speak the content is delivered to the browser and then another team can take care of all the logistics of managing the the content management system so this notion of separating the what you see in the browser, essentially, from what is created and managed centrally, is separated, so that um, an agency can create content for a platform and not necessarily have to know about the, the guts of how the platform works. So it's this sort of headless. And who the, whoever, who the heck ever <laughs> thought of it, that that idea up, but it's basically the separation of the end the the content from from the mechanics of of managing the content
0: please rate, review and subscribe and we'll see you for the next episode.